Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, and I am the lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and I'm so thrilled to have all of you uh, listening to this podcast. It's, it's so great to have a listening audience uh, take part in uh, God's Word each week, and, and I'm so thankful to have you as listeners. Uh, if you want, today we're going to be uh, continuing on our series of I Deserve It, and, and we're specifically going to be looking at John chapter 8. So if you're at a point and you can able are able to uh, pull your Bibles out or whatever device you use to use a Bible or whatever it is, if you want to get there, that would be awesome, uh, because we're in this, this four-week series. And before we dive into this week, I want to share with you, next week we're going to look at uh, Zacchaeus. And believe it or not, in, in, in 20 years of, of doing ministry, uh, I've never uh, been able to uh, or never had the chance or for some reason I never uh, have taught a whole message on Zacchaeus. And so uh, he was this little man with a big sin problem, and Zacchaeus deserved rejection, but Jesus actually accepted him. And, and I'm so excited to be able to, to share that with you guys uh, next week. So today, though, we're going to look at a woman who did something really, really bad and actually got caught and deserved condemnation, but because of the grace of Jesus, he, he gave her mercy. So I believe if you are listening to this podcast today, I believe us God is, is going to give you uh, that reason and purpose of why he has uh, placed you in, in front of a device or, or in your car or wherever it might be that you are listening to this podcast uh, I like to get uh, all of you guys who are listening to participate with me a little bit to, uh, to this to this situation. It, it, and I, my question would be: I want to ask you guys: Have you ever been caught doing something wrong? You know, have you ever been caught doing something wrong? We all have, right? Uh, we've all been caught at some point or another. Well, last week we discovered that all of us, almost all of us have probably had a speeding ticket, correct? And so we're kind of all these people, we've done something wrong in some form or fashion. And we've all probably been caught lying at some point, right? I know I have. Uh, or we've been caught gossiping. Uh, or uh, here's another great example is when you were a kid, you probably had chocolate all over your face at one point. You probably went into the kitchen and, and grabbed a chocolate cookie or a piece of cake that you know you weren't supposed to. And, and your mom's like, were you eating chocolate? And you're like, no. What are you talking about? And as she's looking at you, you know, you have it all over your face. And, and you've been caught, right? You've been busted. Well, we're going to look at a woman that got caught. Uh, I, I remember probably the most embarrassing time I was ever caught doing something. I was about 13, 14 years old, and it was in the middle of the summer, and, and my parents were at work. And so I was at, at home with my two brothers and my sister, and my job was to watch them, you know, and, and, and to do other things because I'm only 13, 14. But on this particular day, one of my brothers decided to share this new song he had learned um, where he learned it, I'm not sure. And it was one of those songs that at the time, back then, we thought it was funny, uh, but not today, if you know what I mean. It's one that unfortunately was filled with some language that would not be appropriate to share with you guys at this point. 
or at any time. Uh, well, anyway, we thought it was so funny. And so we asked him to teach it to us. And, and we were learning this little song and, and we were singing it out loud and we were having a good time at that, at that point. And, and we probably did this for about 20 minutes or so is all. And we decided, you know what, enough of that. And we went outside and played. Well, about two weeks went by and, and we came home uh, for playing up the street or whatever we were doing. And I just remember we, we came into the living room and my mom and dad and my sister are sitting in the living room and they, my dad kind of goes, Hey, have a seat. And as soon as they said that, I knew something was wrong, right? We've all, we've all been there. You know what I'm talking about, right? So he says, Hey, your grandfather from Texas called. Now, mind you, my grandfather from Texas is a retired pastor as well as my dad is a retired pastor. So it runs in our, our family. We've, uh, you know, kind of a thing passed down from generation to generation. God has just blessed us, uh, with the gift to be in ministry. And, but here's the point. He never called on a regular basis. Okay. He wasn't, he would call to check on how we were doing every so often, or is something of importance he wanted to talk to us about. And so I knew that my grandfather calling me had to be something of a big deal. And my dad continued and said, do you know why he called? And, and we had no clue why he was really calling. We just figured it had to be something of importance, right? So my dad asked, what is the new song you guys all learned? And my brothers and I were looking at each other like, do you know what he's talking about? Do you, do you know what he's talking about? We had, we had no idea what he's talking about. And so I said, dad, dad, we, we don't know. And he said, well, let me share it with you. And he proceeded to go over to the answering machine and play the greeting. Okay, and lo and behold, it was a song we were singing just two weeks ago. My sister decided that we would, she would record all of us singing the song, and she used the answering machine to record us. And so for the next two weeks, anyone who called into our home and got our greeting heard this wonderful, not appropriate song, okay? Needless to say, we were caught, and we were busted, and we were in some major trouble, well, today we're going to actually look at a woman who was totally and completely busted and in the wrong. In fact, we're going to look at John chapter 8, like I mentioned, and we're going to start in verse 2 and walk through it verse by verse and let the power of the grace of Jesus minister to us in a really awesome and, and special way. So uh, eight, John 8, verse 2, here's what it says. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. He goes on to say, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, I want to pause in the middle of verse 3 there for a moment because I just want to get your minds around this, okay? Jesus is outside. He's teaching. There's a group of people around. It's a little intimate group, maybe a little bit like a life group, and he's teaching the word to them. And the Pharisees come in, and they're dressed in their full robes and with their headgear, and they got their tassels hanging down, and, and they're bringing in this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And chances are, if she was just recently caught, okay, she was probably doesn't have a whole lot of clothes on. Uh, I mean, she maybe was able to grab a, a sheet to cover herself. Maybe she was partially covered uh, uh, with some clothes. She is totally and completely humiliated beyond description either way. Now, just for the record, I don't know about where you guys are from, but where I'm from, it always takes two to commit adultery. And But we notice in this story that there's no mention of the man, and it's kind of a, a double standard. So they bring this woman in, and she is totally and completely shamed through and through. And she is guilty. She was caught in the act. And you can only imagine what she's going through. And unfortunately, some of you, some of us have been caught doing something wrong. 
you know what those voices of condemnation sound like. You know, it kind of goes like, your life is ruined. You're never going to live this down. No one's going to love you after what you did. Oh, and you call yourself a God person? You're supposed to be a Christian. And after what you did, God will never use you. God will never love you. You're, you're used goods. You're pathetic. You're nothing. You know, those are the voices of condemnation, guilt, and, and shame. And what's interesting to me is you don't even have to be caught doing something wrong to feel the shame. In fact, sometimes shame grows best in the dark. It's when you hold something secret that you really feel guilt and condemnation and, and shame. In fact, I was talking to a guy and he was hurting so much, he confessed to me as his pastor. He said, I hate myself for this and I love my wife, I truly love Jesus, but for whatever reason, I go on my phone and I look at pornography almost every single day. And he said, should I tell my wife? I don't want to devastate her, but I want her help and her prayers. And he didn't know what to do. He said, I, I didn't know how bad it was until I always try to erase my tracks. But, but my wife just grabbed my, my phone and, and, and for the other day to look at it. And, and when she did, I, I knocked it out of her hand because I just couldn't let her hold that device that holds me hostage. And I looked at that, and he had so much shame. And I want to make sure we talk broader than sexual sin because there's shame in all types of sin. But, but this story that we're talking about today, she was caught in a sexual sin. And so I want to stay there just for a moment because there's so much darkness around this particular issue. In fact, I'll just be real transparent with you. The first time I actually saw pornography, I was in the fifth grade. And my buddy John found his dad's stash of uh, Playboy magazines, and, and I wasn't even sure what that was, but it sounded really exciting when he was telling me. And, and so I went to John's house after school, and, and we, we locked ourselves in the closet, you know, kind of a small room type of thing. And I just remember thumbing through these pages going, ooh, oh, oh. I, I don't even know why I liked what was there. I don't even know what it was. I didn't even know what you're supposed to do with what I saw, but, but it just intrigued me, and I felt this rush and this adrenaline. It was so exciting, yet at the same time, I felt such guilt. I felt so dark, and I felt so dirty. And it only got worse when I, when I went home and I saw my mom. She was like, oh, son, you know, I love you. You're such a good kid. And on the inside, I'm thinking, no, I'm a horrible person. I've been looking at Miss February for hours, and, and I just felt so bad. I went into my room and I just prayed, God, forgive me. God, please just, just forgive me. God, forgive me, you know? And I made a promise to God at that moment that I would never, ever do that again. And I kept my word before God until the very next day after school. There I was again in John's closet with Miss February, feeling the simultaneous rush and guilt and shame. And for many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those voices, they just overcome you. You're nothing. You're never going to overcome this. You're just a horrible, horrible person. It may not be in the category of a sexual sin for you. It may be that you just uh, overeat. You tell yourself, I'm not going to do it anymore. And you don't want to, but you hit a road bump in life or something happens. And the next thing you know, you're eating anything you can find. And at the end of it, you're like, I feel so bad. And you feel so much shame. For some people, it's overspending. For, for whatever it is, you may feel doubt or you may feel lonely or you may feel inadequate or, or life hasn't been good to you. And so you just go out and boom, just spend a bunch of money. 
and you buy more than you can afford. And then, then you get the bills and you're like, I'll never do that again. Then a few weeks later, you're out shopping again and you feel dark when you can't control yourself. Some of you, it's a substance that just has you. You know, there's, there's something in a bottle or something in a can or there's something you shoot up or something you smoke that is very small and yet it's bigger than you. You feel dark when you go back to it again and again. Some of you, it's your temper and you're like, I'm not going to unload on my kids ever again. I'm just not going to do that. And they weren't at fault and I'm taking my frustrations out on them and I'm never going to do that again. And yet three days later, you're like, ah, you know, you're like, oh no, I feel so bad. And why did I yell at them again? And, and things go on. And some of you, it's not something so big. You know, I talked to one mom and she said, my life is a Pinterest fail. She said, I can't bake, I can't organize a closet, and my kids don't even match when they walk out the door. Their clothing, you know, it's horrible. I'm so horrible. Whatever it is, you just look at what everyone else is doing, and you look at what you're not, and you and you try not to do something wrong, and you end up doing it again, and, and you internalize the actions. And before long, you think, because I'm bad, or I did bad, I am bad. I'm worthless. What really breaks my heart, is, just as a pastor, is so often... How, how some of you, you, you didn't even do it. You were purely a victim and someone else in a position of power and authority abused you and yet you internalized the shame. Somehow in your mind, Satan's twisted the events and you think, well, I must have done something to deserve this. I must have been, it, it must have been my fault. It's, it's got to be my fault. I, I'm dirty. I'm bad. I brought this on myself. And you take what someone else did to you and you think what they did to you is who you are. You know, shame, condemnation, and guilt. I did bad, therefore I am bad. Or someone did something bad to me, therefore I am bad. This woman that we're talking about, I'm telling you, if she were just in a normal context, uh, if she was living today and she's you and she's has an affair, she's thinking, it's over, right? My husband is never going to love me again. My kids aren't going to respect me. You know, and all the women are going to be talking bad about me, whispering behind my back, keep your man away from her. She's a husband stealer, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? For her, it was so much worse than this, though. Whenever she would think, my life is now over, for her, she was literally thinking, my life is over. In other words, they're going to kill me for this. And quite honestly, at the moment she committed the sin, this was considered to be one of the top three worst sins in Jewish culture. And to commit the sin of adultery was a crime punishable by death. She's being dragged, literally almost like to a trial, and she's thinking, my life is really over. And we see this in our reading of John. So let's continue on in in verse 3. It says, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Let's pause there. Here's the question. What are the Pharisees doing here? See, they didn't care a lick about her, and they wanted to do what was, what they wanted to do was leverage her, okay, to hurt, to trap and trick Jesus. Because if she said, yeah, or if he said, yeah, you're right, that's what the law says, go ahead and stone her, then he would lose his reputation for being loving and full of mercy, And if on the other hand, he said, no, 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 let's not act too quickly here. We should forgive her. Then they said, oh, Jesus is condoning adultery. He's saying it's okay to break the law of Moses. And verse six tells us this. Look at what verse six says. It says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now picture this. Okay, this woman is full of shame. She's hurting. She's barely clothed. She sh- should we stone her? Is what the question is. Jesus doesn't respond. He just kneels down and starts doodling in the sand. He starts writing down something. Now that raises the question. Well, what did Jesus write? The answer is we don't know for sure. Nobody really knows for sure. But for centuries, scholars have been debating what did she write down. And the qu- answer, true answer, is we're not sure. But there are many biblical scholars who suggest that Jesus was writing down the sins of the man who were accusing the woman. And so why do we think that? Well, there are two reasons, two strong reasons, actually. One is because later texts actually said that's what Jesus was writing down. Okay, that's one reason, and it's a pretty strong argument as to why. The second reason is because there's actually two Greek words translated into English language as to write down. Okay, One is the word graphian, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And the other is the word uh, katagraphian. Okay, graphian means to write down, and kata means against. And katagraphian means to write down against. The word that's used in the text, in this text, is the word katagraphian. So whatever Jesus was writing down, he was writing down something against someone. Okay, so let's read on. Look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and, and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Okay, so let's get the context here again. Jesus, should we go ahead and kill her? Okay, that's the question, right? Well, he stands up. If any of you has never sinned, go ahead. Here's your rock. You go first. And now again, in the Greek's language, which, by the way, I'm not a Greek scholar. This is all just me looking it up and studying it myself. But in the Greek language, when it is translated as anyone who is without sin, uh, it, I'm sorry, it's translated as anyone who is without sin. Okay, This text actually also means not only are you without sin, but you didn't even want to sin. Okay, It's, it's not like the bar is right at your uh, eye level, okay? But the bar is like five feet above that, way above your head, okay? Because not only did you not do it, but you never, ever wanted to do it, you know? And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times, to, you know, today, uh, you know, just today, I, I do not sin, right? But, oh, dear Jesus, how badly I want to, okay? And I'm hoping and I believe that there's probably somebody that's listening that would understand what I mean, right? Sometimes you want to, but you don't. In fact, just the other day I was driving, and I, I think it's funny because every time I, I always tell a story about me driving for some reason. It's, I don't know how, how many times, maybe you've noticed, how many of my personal sin stories kind of relate to, to irresponsible driving. I don't know why it happens that way. But anyway, I was driving, and I went through an intersection, and I didn't have a stop sign, and so I went through it. And the other guy had a stop sign but ignored it. And he came through it and almost T-boned me. And he slammed on the brakes and he lays on the horn and turned, uh, and I turned to stay out of the way, okay? And, and he just looks at me and he gives me, you know, this look like, what are you doing? You know, like, like it's my fault. Well, the next thing you know, this guy tells me I'm number one, if you know what I mean, if you know what I'm saying or know what I mean, then says something that begins with the letter F, and you can assume what that means, and goes on and on. And I'm reading his lips now, Okay. And I actually think, and I'm not certain, but I think he said something about my mama. I'm pretty sure about it. But by the grace of God, because I'm a maturing uh, Christian, I had the composure not to act. 
I decided to assess the situation. And so I very prayerfully looked over my shoulder to make sure I didn't have a stop sign because I didn't want to be in this guy's face if I had actually broken the law. And so I also looked to see if he did have a stop sign. And I did not, and he did. He was clearly in the wrong. And I very calmly put my Dodge Journey in the park, and I reached down and I unlatched my safety belt and reached to open the door. And it probably took about a second and a half, maybe two seconds, because I was moving slowly, okay? But (laughs) during this time, I visualized this whole scenario. And you know how your mind does that, right? Where you just kind of play stuff out. And I saw myself, right? I saw myself get out of the car and walk calmly over to him, reached to his rolled down window, and I grabbed his middle finger. And I saw myself snap it off and put it where the sun never shines. Well, I gave him ample opportunity to say plenty of nice things about my mom, who I love, by the way, and I continued to play this out in my mind. And then I saw myself calling my wife, okay, to explain to her what happened with my one phone call I was allotted from the police department, because that's where I'm going to be at this point, right? And then visualized my children reading the headlines in the news the next day saying, Pastor of Chandler Acres arrested for breaking off man's finger, okay? But by the grace of God, I did not act. I wanted to more than I can tell you. And I had to take satisfaction in knowing that I could have done that if I had to, but I didn't do it. And I do not judge me on this because I was a man a long time before I was a pastor. And every now and then, that man wants to show back up and and show justice in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to help people know the will of God. If you've never sinned, throw the stone. But not only if you never did it, if you never ever wanted to do it, throw the first stone, Jesus says. Then in verse 8, he says this. Listen to what verse 8 says. Uh, It says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now picture this. The woman's caught. She bears dying. Jesus, should, should we stone her? And he says nothing, and he writes on the ground. He stands up, okay, boys, you've never done anything. You never wanted anything. Go ahead, you throw the stone. And then he gets, starts writing on the ground again. Now, this time, the older one leaves first, right? Now, for some reason, this makes me laugh. It kind of cracks me up because if he's writing down the sins and the older one goes, you know what? I've seen this, seen where this is going. I, I am so out of here. I don't want to be any part of this. I'm gonzo, right? And the young ones are just kind of sitting there, realize, not even realizing that what they're about to get into. Okay? Well, anyway, they're, they're all gone, right? And Jesus is just there with this broken woman who is guilty, uh, sinful, and completely in the wrong. She deserved condemnation. But look at what Jesus says to her in verse 10. 10 and 11, okay? This is what he says. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replies, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's what I hope you will understand. Okay, Hands down, beyond a shadow of a doubt, with absolute justice, she deserved condemnation. She was sinful. She was wrong. Because of the grace and love of Jesus, she did not, he did not give her what she deserved. But instead of giving her condemnation, he gave her mercy. The good news is for those of you who are in the same place, full of shame and guilt and condemnation, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, I'm going to say it again because you need to hear it. It says now, not later, not after counseling, not after you prove yourself, but now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though she deserved condemnation, he gave her mercy. Even though you may have done wrong and you deserve condemnation, you don't have to wear the cloak of guilt. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are on Christ Jesus. When the voices continue saying, you're used goods, you're pathetic, no one will ever love you. You can't even let them know what you did because if they knew what you did, they wouldn't accept you. You're pathetic. You're always going to be this way. You can't overcome it. You've tried for too long. You're just that way. You're filthy. You don't have the ability. You're bad. God doesn't love you. God can never use you. God can never forgive you. This is just the way you are. Remember this. You are not what you did. You are not what those voices say. You are not who others say you are. You are who Christ says you are. If you are in Christ, he says you are forgiven. You are free. You are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the words of your testimony. You are not your past. You are not what somebody did to you. You're not even what they, what you did, even if it was wrong. He says, now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are some of you right now, you think you're always going to be that way. You think you cannot be healed. You think you cannot change. Some of you are trapped in a sin that has held you hostage for years. And I believe that one minute in the presence of Jesus and everything can change. When can it change? It can change right now. Now, in the presence of Jesus, that which held you hostage can change right now. That addiction can be broken now by the power of Jesus. Sure, sometimes it's a process, but sometimes Jesus does it now. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Go now and be freed from your life of sin. And here's the best part. Jesus continues in verse 12. He says, Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You never have to be in darkness again. You see, when Jesus looked at her and he said, where are your condemners? Then neither do I condemn you. And at that moment, Jesus was not just the light of the world. He became the light of her world. And when he becomes the light of your world, you never have to walk in darkness again. I'm not held hostage by my own guilty feelings because of what I did wrong. Because now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are on Christ Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Don't miss it, okay? This woman deserved condemnation. According to the law, she was guilty. According to the law, we are guilty too. But because of the goodness of God, Jesus does not give us what we deserve. Even though we deserve condemnation, he gives us mercy. Because he is the light of the world. And whenever we follow the light of the world, we never have to walk in darkness again. That's why now you can find healing. Now you can go your way and sin no more. Because that's how good our Savior is. Amen. Thanks for listening in this week to another Venture Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week where I'm going to share about Zacchaeus and how he should have been rejected, but Jesus accepted him. Please join us for week number three of I Deserve It. Talk to you soon. 
If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcasts or would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at www.chandleracreschurch.com.